he is. <laughs> there he is. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. I haven't seen you since right before the show started. Yeah, we had a little. We have a little pre-talk, so we kind of pretend like we haven't seen each other. But yeah, we have. We have. Bit. We've <clears> seen <throat> each other. We talked nothing. probably three times today. Nothing's changed. Nothing all. changed. No, it's all have good. You, have you read any of the books on the shelf behind you? Have you? Um, no, these aren't. Um, have I read? I've probably read some of them, but these are mom's books, you know, because. Yeah, but you've been locked in that room for a while. I, I thought maybe you've done some reading. For yeah. months. Um, uh, and, and as you can see, I have bottles of wine stashed in the uh, bookshelf, too. It's, can a, little, you it's a little hard to see that. Oh, there, right, there you go. Uh, yeah. All right. So um, really, that's just a, an elaborate. It's the a, books are an elaborate wine holding uh, yeah. device. There is a copy, though, in the other bookshelf, in the matching bookshelf of To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, my which favorite. you have read. Which I've read many, many, many times. I need to reread that book. It's yeah. been a long time. And uh, it's where I got my son's name from and all of that. You know. How is uh how is Atticus? Atticus is Atticus is great. You know, he's yeah. down in Philly. Um mm -hmm. he's upset that we're not gonna be able to come visit because of this, you know, whatever this dystopian nightmare that we're all it's a huge in. drag. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm really, really bummed out. Yeah. But um, but he's doing great. Good. You know, Good. He actually got his uh, diploma the other day, so now we know that oh, he yeah? graduated from college. Did they, did they text it to him? Or <laughs> they basically did. Text <laughs> he wasn't sure he had graduated. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I graduated. You know, yeah. I finished all my classes and school ended, and uh, yeah. And they didn't tell me I didn't graduate. But they there's don't, no, yeah. It's a strange time to go through all of that, um, and and it's appropriate, you know, that we're we're talking about this movie right now because I don't think anybody's able to sleep right now. Yeah, it seems like everybody's a little on pins and needles for some yeah, reason, just wandering through a strange world. Yeah, wherein looks like we're facing many more weeks of of quietude. So we picked this movie, which neither of us had ever seen, knowing very little about it, other than being fans of several of the people in it. One in particular, who's very near to my heart. Mm -hmm. And um, so what did you think? Because I, I went in not knowing what to expect. Um, well, I, I mean, how much... How, how many Paul Schrader movies have you have you seen that he's directed? Well, or written? Uh, I saw there was something he wrote called Taxi Driver. I think. Yes. Yeah, you I saw, saw that. It. You yeah. saw that movie. That's a that's a movie that came out. Yeah, that's Taxi a movie Driver. that came out, and I saw it. Yeah. Um, okay, and that was that was it. No, I'm I I'm you I'm started. You were starting to talk. You were starting a list of things. <laughs> Sorry. You you do the you're the list guy. You name Paul Schrader movies. I'll tell I you. Can't name the Paul Schrader movies that you know. Though. I <laughs> no, don't know that. Just start naming them, and I'll go. Yes. Did you see Affliction? No. Did you see First Reformed? No. Um. Did you see American Gigolo? No. Believe it or not. Did you see the remake of Cat People? Yes. So you did see a movie. 
that he directed movies. I saw well, and I saw I saw Taxi Driver. All right, I'm just going to jump. He didn't right direct there. Taxi Driver. He's he, no, but he, wrote. he wrote. Yeah, he wrote. yeah. Um, I just wanted to make sure that we were clear on that. Okay. But um, you're the on the like the list. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert at all. Those are the movies that I, you know, the, the ones I, he's, he's directed other movies, but those seem to be like the big ones. Well, I'm just going to jump in. I didn't know what to expect. I adored this movie from beginning to end. I'm right it, with you. A few movies that I would like start over when it was over, I would watch it again right away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I loved it too. And I kind of knew what to expect because I've seen a lot of Paul Schrader movies and it's definitely like this is a Paul Schrader movie. But it might be my favorite one, to be honest. I, I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um I I was not I was not expecting to be to be that engrossed in this movie. I, I thought I would be entertained, you know. I kind of assumed that it would be um I thought it was going to be more of a, of a kind of a noir B movie than it, than it was. And um, yeah, it wasn't at all that. I mean, it was no. a noir movie, but it wasn't a B movie at all. No. Um, and, Do you and, want to, before we go too far in our critical analysis, do you want to do your, your stick, your thing? Absolutely. Light yeah. sleeper, light sleeper, ladies and gentlemen. Directed by Paul Schrader, who we've already said what he did. Um, this movie stars Willem Dafoe and Susan Sarandon and Dana Delaney. Um, that's which will be that's an important piece of information for this episode, particularly. Yeah. Um, there are uh, the, stories. These are the main stars of the film. There are other uh, actors who you know in the film: Mary Beth Hurt, Victor Garber, Jane Addams. Um, and uh, notably, well, I want to I want to bring up the other person I want to mention a little bit later because we have a picture. Um, and uh, it's the story of uh, it, it's the story of uh, it's kind of a character study of a drug dealer in New York in the in the early nineties, after crack has kind of taken over as the drug of choice, and high end elite drug dealers with uh, fancy clientels are kind of on the way out a little bit. And Willem Dafoe works for Susan Sarandon, who plays like <clears throat> the last of the fancy elite Coke dealers, which is a ridiculous thing to even say that exists or ever existed, but there it is. And this movie though, really makes a great case for those things because I think, uh, you know, I think one of the things that's clear is that some of the people involved in this movie knew some drug dealers. Um, well, maybe being, knew a little bit about drugs because yeah. this seems incredibly, incredibly accurate to very it's minute such details. an incredible portrait of that time. Having gone to grad school in the city in the 80s and then living there and being you know part of the legal scene until the late 80s and then dropping out of that to become an actor again and and you know moving on the the very lower level of those like looking up into that circle i feel mm. like i saw a lot of this 
f- from the bottom looking up, I saw all those people and that's, yeah. and, and the, and the way it captures the city at that time. Was it, it's a, it's a gorgeous, it's gorgeous the way it's shot and captures the city that the art direct. I mean, it, it it's so uh, beautifully crafted. I, I didn't expect, I didn't really didn't expect that. I thought that was going to be really good, but kind of a low budget, um, I thought it was going to be more like uh, King of New York, which I which I love. But yeah. this is a very different kind of movie than that. Yeah, this is extremely um, kind of uh, painful emotionally, and 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 very uh, connected to characters in a way that I don't know. I, you just don't see very often. Well, and the way it was directed, the, it, uh, tell me if I'm off I'm off base on this, but it seemed to me to be paced unbelievably slowly and at the same time felt like it was moving incredibly fast, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, well, it, it does, yeah. It, it, it had such a laconic pace, and yet you, you felt like you were going down a roller coaster the whole time. Yeah. Well, I want, and I, I mean, I wonder why that is. I guess partly it's, um, I mean, it is Willem Dafoe's movie, and he's so good in it. I think he's really, really heartbreaking and great in this movie. And, um, he gave it his all. He invested. I, it feels like he just invested himself completely in this part. So you really do care about this guy. I, I, I you know. I did anyway. I really cared about whether he was going to make it through this movie or not. You know, yeah. Well, an incredible portrait of addictive personality too. Even though mm-hmm. he's clean, he's everybody in it who's clean is clearly a white knuckler. You know, they've they still they've got stopped, the demon talking to them. Yeah, somewhere. they've yeah. stopped using, but all of the stuff that drives them to use is still a hundred percent present. And, and screaming inside yeah. them. I think, you know, and, and one of the things I think that really pushes this into being kind of a great movie, like really great, is is how it's also really universal about just, you don't, you don't have to be a, a, um, an ex-user or, or know that world at all to know what uh, Schrader's talking about. No. And I say Schrader because he wrote this too. He wrote, right. he writes and directs. So, you know, he's really, he's he's just talking about this place that you get in life where things have changed and you didn't notice. You know that sometimes that happens. Everybody go, I think, knows what that feels like to skip the chapter somehow and find yourself living maybe a year, like staying at the party a year longer than the parties that have been going on and kind of checking in with yourself about, wow, you know, and sometimes that's uh, somebody dying can do that to you or, or some, you know, getting clean can do that to somebody. And it really captures that, that, that spread of time, because you feel like you're, you feel like, you know, these characters back in the day when they're talking about the good old days. Yeah. They talk about these great days, which you assume are like the early eighties or late seventies where, yeah, things were really edgy and really cool and nobody was, you know, AIDS hadn't come along yet and nobody was, you know, everybody was still at studio 54 having a great time and the hangover hadn't started, you know? Um, But this movie evokes that you really see that 
like there was flashbacks of it, but there aren't any. Yeah. You feel like you saw flash. I feel like you see flashbacks of Susan Sarandon and all of these people and, and Dana Delaney back before you started the movie. Um, yeah. And there, and there was something interesting to me about the way, the way it was, uh, directed the uh, tapping into what you're talking about the the particularly for for Dana Delaney the characters of Dana Delaney Willem Dafoe and uh the other fellow not but not Dana I'm sorry Susan Sarandon uh Willem Dafoe and the other fellow who works for her oh David Clennon David Clennon there, yeah. there was an artificiality about their their interaction there was sort of a a heightened performance thing going on as if we're still playing at this, this good time relationship, but, mm. and, and, and it had to have been a choice because it didn't exist in other parts of the movie, other parts of the movie, the performance became, all of the performances became very real. And when they were together, it was like they were playing, they were playing each playing a part mm. in, as if they were trying to reach back to this fantasy yeah. and keep it alive somehow. Yeah, that's true. And, you and didn't it, feel that, that with Dana. You didn't feel it with Jane Adams. You didn't feel it with with everybody else. You don't. It's true. And it was. It's not a question of like talent or something like that. It had to have been a, a choice. I would imagine. I mean, one of the it occurs to me that one of the things that that choice kind of enhanced was the slight edge of paranoia that you're really supposed to feel every time you're there. And Susan Sarandon is the, she's the, she's the gang leader, basically. She, yeah. she runs the, the Coke operation and Willem Dafoe is just a, is just a street. He just, he's just the mule. He takes it from one person to another. The DD. The DD. Is that the, the drug dealer? They drug. kept talking about being a DD, a drug dealer. And he has right. that great one. He's not really the D he's just kind of the middleman. I mean, she's the D I feel like she's really the dealer. He's just the guy that gets in the cab and makes the physically makes the transaction. I mean, right. technically he's a dealer, but he's not making the money is the point. Yeah. But he called himself a DD. They have that great, my favorite line in the movie, if we jump to that is when he says, everybody wants to talk. It's like a compulsion. My philosophy is you got nothing to say. Don't say it. They figure you can tell a DD anything, things they'll never tell anyone else. Of course, they're stoned to start. <laughs> and it was like sort of it, it, it felt that little speech felt like what he what what Schrader was trying to say is that the the drug that low level drug dealer, the guy who's going to show up at your door was the 80s equivalent of your bartender. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And they, he really does depict that. Um, he shows you that lifestyle. He's very cagey about it because the movie, the thing I admire about it most, um, or I think the thing that's the, that's most admirable about it actually is the way it's designed to really subtly, almost subconsciously, um, show you how like the the glossy version of this world the world you think that you're gonna see with drug dealers and cool new york you know high-end elite you know sophisticated drug users and stuff and how the movie slowly 
turns and shows you visually how horrible this is. And it starts really lush and beautiful. And every club he goes to is gorgeous. And it's just like really slick. It's like, you know, the high end New York elite stuff. Yeah. And uh, there's a, there's a moment in midway through the movie where things change really radically for him. And at that, it's at that moment that you start to notice that the design of the film starts to show you more and more actually how, how really the lifestyle isn't that good looking, isn't that cool, is actually kind of gross and grimy. Literally, you see his apartment becomes lit differently throughout the movie so that by the end, yeah. it's really harsh and you realize it's kind of a dump. It's like, but in the beginning, it looks like this cool kind of Miami Vice, you know, yeah. like secret samurai lair, you know? Yeah. And they then, don't like, change it. They just change the lighting. And that's the same thing that happens to like everything about the movie. You start to just see it. It's like Schrader just puts the light slowly, slowly starts turning up the light on the reality of what his life is really like. Yeah. You and want to see subtle. There was a photograph that I pulled that I think taps into one of the things. Yeah that you're talking about this oh look at that getting back to his apart coming back to his apartment one night yeah the garbage strike and and this light here is blinking throughout the scene yeah you see like you start to see where he what that his neighborhood differs radically from Susan Sarandon's neighborhood, that his building is quite a bit different. Yeah. The garbage strike was such a brilliant thing. It was and it's so well done that I thought maybe they shot it during a garbage strike. I know it's incredible. I started thinking, like, oh my God, every shot yeah. outside they had to unload. They they had to dress all of it. And the thing was, they said, I did some research and it said that New York was going through a particularly good garbage time. And they had a problem because they'd set they'd set everything up and dress the set with garbage, and the garbage people would actually come and take it away, and they'd be like, "No, you can't. That's our, that's, that's our garbage." garbage. <laughs> um, that's not yeah, real garbage. yeah, really um, remarkable. Reminded me like a little bit of um, the twenty fifth hour, and uh, a little bit of like that movie Naked. You ever see uh, Mike Lee's movie Naked? No. Um, just really, you know, it just, I, I, it was, I was, it was a gut punch. It really was. Yeah. Um, well, we, want... we have somebody who can come tell us about actually working on the movie. Somebody who actually knows maybe a little bit about what it was like to make this movie. You're, you're saying, yeah. Um, yeah. Should we bring them on? I would love to, I would love to talk to them. You guys have never met, have you? No. Okay. I also have some other questions. I, Oh, I think she's saying yes. You have met somewhere. Have we met? But it would be terribly embarrassing if I didn't. Here we go. <laughs> hey there. Hi. How Hi. are you? This is like weird lighting. It's like I'm looming. <laughs> you look awesome. You look like you're at a theater right now. I know. Really I've, never cool. done, I've never done a Zoom at night. This is just my kitchen. <laughs> Very oh, nice. Cool. Thanks for for uh, coming and talking to us. Tony, I think you came to see. I think I met you backstage after dinner with friends in New York one night. That's possible. I went uh, a few times to that, so it's possible. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, there we go. And I know you, you work with- You did that in New York, Dana? Yeah, 
this with you. Oh, that's right. <laughs> my husband. And you, uh, you worked with uh, my wife Amelia Campbell. Yes, I did. Translations. Hi. Yes. Yeah. Um, so and many. Worked, and you worked with Adam on China Beach. Yes, Tony's the only uh, Arkin brother I haven't been married to. It's the only Arkin brother you haven't kissed. We'll you try to work on this uh, during the show. Maybe we can change that. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is great. It's so cool that you uh, that you're here. No, I I, ha I have fond memories of that movie. It's um, it's amazing it's that film, and I I really wasn't. It, it was funny because we we we've had other episodes where we've had people who were going to be on. Um, last week we talked about a film uh, directed by John Badham, who's a fellow professor in the film department at Chapman, where I teach. And when we've had people who were going to be on, we've we've always had this conversation. It's like, oh well, now we can only say good things about this movie, or you know, oh. <laughs> you teach with John so we can only say good things about the howling. Cause I can't show up at a staff meeting and have, you know, but we, we always talk before the, the uh, show. And we were both like completely blown away by this film genuinely. Um, and I think it's the, some, a friend of mine said to me today, I love it when you guys poke fun at the movies and tear them, tear them apart and have bad things to say about them. And I said, well, you're going to be disappointed tonight because <laughs> both of us unreservedly loved everything about this movie. Um, when was the last time you've seen it, Dana? I really don't watch myself. I saw it when it opened. I went to the you know the opening screening in New York, and then I think I maybe saw bits of it about five years ago. So it's been a while. Right. Well, if so you're you curious, you're really good in it. <laughs> good. Glad to hear. <laughs> you're great in it, and. And it's a tr it's a really powerful experience. Did you did you feel that way when you when you saw it, or do you or, or do you just not like to seeing yourself on screen and have a bad time going to premieres and stuff? Yeah, I don't really like watch. This was the first movie that I did after China Beach. Oh, really? So, um, I sort of was coming out of the China Beach head of acting, where it's. I heard what you said about the realness, and I remember seeing the movie and thinking. Wow, Willem and Susan are very heightened, and I'm not. And what's what's the deal with that? You know, and I think it was because of what you're saying that because I remember Paul saying to me, you know, you can try different things, but I was like, no, I know what I know what I want to do. And I think Paul wanted them to be like a family, like a heightened family thing. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think that's what was going on. Well, felt that way because because Victor also wasn't doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, nobody else was was doing the thing that the three of them were were doing. And poor Victor, he, um, I think he got like script the night before. Really, oh, really? Yes, and um, he had to come up with that Swiss accent, and he said he completely made it made it up, like on the spot. Oh no, and that's tough. I, I love him so much in this movie with that blood and nightmare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Years, I'm gonna say, but he's so disturbing and weird in this film. And Sam Rockwell's in it. I remember meeting him. I know. And David is David Spade. I was getting David yeah. Spade is in it. David yeah, Spade is in, in, a, in a wonderful scene. Like everybody has a really good choice, kind of interesting moment in this. In, yeah. um, in and Sam Rockwell's jacket should actually have its own credit. What is it? it? I don't remember. 
It's like a motorcycle racing jacket designed by the people that did, you know, uh, Thriller. Like, yeah. like the Michael Jackson video. It's crazy red with writing on it and multicolored with zippers and stuff all over it. It's, it's Should we show amazing. the photograph? Yeah, we can, let's bring the photograph up. Uh, hold on a sec. Let me pull it up here. Um, I was surprised. <laughs> Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's really something. And it's bigger by far than he is. It's this yeah. doesn't even show you yeah. how large the jacket yeah. actually the is. The thing about the wardrobe in the movie is kind of funny because Richard Honig did the set design and the wardrobe. Wonderful guy who unfortunately mm. got AIDS shortly after that. And um because Paul had a relationship with George Armani from American Gigolo. American Gigolo, right. We all had to wear Armani clothes because they were free. Uh-huh. And um, I don't look good in Armani. And I remember just thinking, oh, God, I know it's Armani, but God, it looks like shit on me. But you had to because it was, it was the other rules. Yeah. Were size stuff because I'm kind of small. It was just way too big on me. But it was free. And the thing with the movie is it was so low budget. And nobody had shot in New York for years because of unions. Like nobody was shooting in New York then. Right. And the entire crew agreed to do it non-union. And but all the heads of the departments were union. And wow. they did it for nothing. And I think we shot the entire movie in four weeks. Oh my God. Wow. Now yeah. that I think about it, everything New York was being shot in in uh in Toronto and Vancouver, that yeah. was big, like Vancouver, yeah, Toronto time. Not being used at all. Like yeah. Um, did you ever see uh, um, King of New York? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Similar time period. We we looked at that film as well, and and it, it's it'd be an interesting double bill actually. Mm -hmm. That's a similar time period and totally different way of dealing with the city and and the mm -hmm. cast. Yeah. Um, had you? Uh, I'm so curious about what it was like to be on the, like how Schrader works with actors and what it's like to actually shoot those scenes. Do you have memories? Was it, with, did he work in any particularly memorable way or? or um... Um, you know, I had worked with him before. It's, it was like a bookend thing, right? As I was doing the pilot for China Beach, I was shooting Patty Hearst with Paul. Oh, wow. Which um, was written by Nick Kazan and, um, yeah, Boyan Bazelli shot that one. And so I already knew Paul a little bit. And, you know, he's intense. <laughs> Paul uh -huh. is very intense, very smart, very cerebral. Um, yeah. he, you know, the only thing I can say about Paul is he was always a little bit inappropriate, you know, like he could not get away from get away with it right now. Okay, okay, interesting. But, you know, but it made me laugh. That's yeah. that. You know, I thought it was funny because, uh, okay. yeah, we, we had big sex scenes and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. Like I said, the only thing he said directing-wise was he was very snotty to me because I'd been doing television. And I remember he took me out to dinner at Luxembourg, Happy Luxembourg. And, you know, like it's the old school way of directing where they try to kind of intimidate you, mm. you know, and do that paternal thing. And um, or hit on you, you know, one or the other. Right. But I remember him taking me out to Cafe Luxembourg and saying, um, 
you know, you've been doing a lot of TV lately, and uh, you don't have to do it the same way every take. And I was thinking, wow, that's like, <laughs> oh, God, right to the heart. Wow. Yeah. And then I thought, I actually don't. I'm just getting, I'm just honing it as I go. You know, I just, at that point, I was yeah. trying to get deeper and deeper with each take, you know, and simplify it and simplify it. Whereas I think he wanted me to try different things. And I just didn't think it was right for the character to do that. You know? Right. So I just kept doing what I wanted to do. And then it ended up being fine in the movie, I thought. You know? It's great in the movie oh. because it's so. I mean, it, I I feel it needs to. Your instincts were so right because that if that if you hadn't been a real person, like just without ornamentation, I, I think everybody would have mistrusted your characters being clean and yeah. you know, and then uh, and then getting hooked again. I mean, I, it was it was that lack of artifice that really, you know. Um, well, I think it's right what you said that they were all white knucklers, and I went to a lot of uh, NA meetings as you know preparation for it, and mm -hmm. that's what you just sense like any second it could turn, and she knew that you know. Yeah, and that for dear life. You're you're walking into the his the room at the end before you kill before you kill yourself. It's just devastating, mm -hmm. it's more devastating than you killing yourself. Just see. <laughs> Seeing you, yeah, it's it's really it's very very upsetting. I wasn't I wasn't prepared uh, for the emo for how emotional it, it 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 got me. It really was um, it was really powerful. Did you um, I mean I, honestly, in seeing it again, like I, I hadn't seen it, but in reviewing it now, and I know a lot of time has passed. I think this movie has got to be assessed again. I think it's fantastic. Like I, I just I walked away thinking it's kind of a classic that, um, I think it got it got attention and and well reviewed. I know Amelia saw it when it came out and she always thought it was like a a well known well liked film. I just don't know how I missed it. It kind of um, came came and went. Not a lot of people saw it? it. Yeah, it went went fast. I don't know why. I don't know yeah. why people don't talk about it more. The scene in the 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 hospital cafeteria at Roosevelt mm. um, I love the way you shot that I okay I'm glad you said that it's an amazing scene that, that pillar between us yeah and yeah. I don't I um we we play clips on the show that's a long scene and and I think uh we we could get in trouble if we show too much of it but I do want to show I give a sense of how it's shot in that it starts with, um, uh, where's the where's the picture? Um, here we go. It starts with. Let me find the thing to share. Um, uh, sorry, they can't edit this part out of the show, Matthew, because it is it's live. It's going out live right now. So oh, this part's right. in the show. Yes, I know. This. Just so you know. But I did have them once. I showed too much in another show, and they cut the stream off in the middle of the show. Which oh, really? Oh, yeah. God. Okay. Um, but the scene starts. Uh, am I sharing now? Yeah. Right there, we are. Yeah. So the scene starts with this shot. After you guys walk in and sit down, then it cuts to this shot. A little wider than that 
for a long, slow push in on you. And then it breaks the 180 and goes to there. Yeah. And. Yeah. And then it comes back to this. And then it ends back there again. And it's it's disorienting and it follows what's going on emotionally in this scene. I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. Great storytelling. Yeah, that was Ed Lockman. He's so good. And also look at her hair is so similar. <laughs> I, I noticed that. It's true. It's very similar. What's funny, it, it was, Paul has a thing about androgynous, androgynous women and cat people, which you saw. Same hair, yeah. He had a, a Sasha Kinski cut her hair short. He has this thing about it. Mm -hmm. So he asked me to cut my hair short. And I and he, and he wanted me to go darker because Susan was red. Mm -hmm. And he wanted me to have that um, Demi Moore haircut and, you know, that ghost movie with the long bangs kind of thing, you know, which oh, I wanted. Right. But my hairdresser didn't realize that I cut all my hair off. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's what we got. But I kind of ended up liking the fact that I looked like Willem. We had similar hairdos. Well, you look like Willem, and you also look like somebody. I mean, that is it's it's a, it's it's a it's a dramatic. It looks like you made a dramatic change. It looks yeah. like something that I'm taking. The, I'm going to change. Yeah, I'm cutting I'm hair starting. off and I'm starting yeah. again. Well, particularly yeah. when we see all the photographs of you from your earlier life. Right. Um, yeah. I'm curious, was there a, was the rehearsal? Um, did you get to spend any time with Willem Dafoe and work stuff out at all or? No rehearsal whatsoever. You know, no. I'm, not, I'm not surprised because it's a low budget movie and when do you ever, but I'm surprised because it really feels like this company worked together. Like this movie feels like there was a lot of work done on backstories with with you know with each other that's that scene at when you're you're going over things of the past is uh, at that cafe is so yeah. it's so real i mean it's so yeah, it was my life when i say remember area you know and all that stuff i mean i was doing that in, in the right. early 80s so right. it wasn't hard to pull that one up you know right i i knew those designer drug dealers <laughs> It's yeah, we were talking about how it does seem very well researched. It does seem well, you know, it really is, it, it's about Paul's drug dealer. Um, okay. and I guess somebody just told me they had a screening at the Arrow Theater in on Montana and Santa Monica, and um, like a year or so ago, and Paul's drug dealer was in the audience. Who <laughs> the movie is about. Oh, that's wow. nice. oh my god, I'm glad he's still alive. Yeah, going yeah. to movies. That's good news. Amazing. Wow. What did you think of the music? Oh God, it's good. Amazing. It's so good. I mean, the songs are great, but then the score is also fantastic. It's really fantastic. Because originally it was supposed to be Bob Dylan doing the music. And um I read that, but I thought it must be not true. That's no, actually true. He he was he had a deal to do it um right up until I think editing. And then he backed out at the last second. So well, they, I'm glad he did. Yeah, the other guy. It, yeah, it's it has a kind of. Um, I'm trying to think of who's that Australian uh, kind of goth singer. Um, been around for a while now, and he's doing scores. Kind of reminded me of him. But the score part of the movie is, is fantastic. Do you know if this, the same guy do both the like the songs and the score to the movie? I'm I not 
Sure. Was he in the call? Was that the name of the group he had? The call or something? I don't know. Mu Michael Bean, it says, did yeah. the music. Um, and you were right about uh, Lockman, uh, the, the DP who, you know, I mean, went on to do, this was pretty early for him, I think, but he yeah. went on to do, I have this written down somewhere, um, Less Than Zero, <laughs> The Limey, Aaron Brockovich. So he worked with, um, excuse me, buddy, I'm sorry. I'm working right now. Thank you. And uh, Carol and I'm Not There, which are also yeah. stunning, stunning movies. Yeah, and he's a sweet, sweet man, too. And then your I camera operator was Craig DeBona, who went on to be DP on tons of television. Did he? Yeah. I worked with him on Hack. Adam worked with him on Tommy. Um, uh, I think, uh, I think um, a lot of Blue Bloods. Uh, big, big. New no, York guy. Yeah. 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 I remember I really liked him a lot. Yeah. And how about that set of the Paramount Hotel when we go to the hotel room? Isn't that fantastic oh. with the mirror painting behind us? And that, that is, that, that painting is, uh, it's Beatrice, right? I don't know. I know it's Vermeer, it's a Vermeer, whatever copy. Because there's, um, it's Vermeer, yeah, it's a Vermeer. I don't, I don't know the name of it. There's, there's this early shot of a, of a sculpture of Beatrice. Uh, In the hotel? Uh, not in the hotel room. Somewhere else earlier in the film, where he he does this he does this um, independent camera thing several times throughout the film, where where the camera has a mind of its own, where the scene leaves the frame and the camera independently travels. And That's shows my favorite it. shot of the movie is one of those shots in, in the, the restaurant. The restaurant oh, where, where the, the camera just goes away. And yeah, and it, it goes on three panels of this huge mural. Yeah, it's, like, it, it's one of the craziest shots I've ever I've ever seen. I had to stop and look at it a couple of times to just see what I was seeing. And it's not camera just camera. wanders away. He gets um, out of a cab in a wide shot, walks down an entire block, picks him up, follows him through revolving doors into the restaurant, goes over his shoulder and then looks up at this mural that's about 30 feet high. And then it just glides over three walls of this mural at about 20 feet high, it looks like. And then it comes down and then picks him back up again as he's walking into this another wide angle shot of him getting to the cocktail table and meeting his clients. It's it's beyond belief. I mean, you can't believe anybody got away with doing it. I know where that it was, too. That was a great bar on the, in the theater district. A lot of you? Yes, paleo, paleo. It said something like that on the yeah. front of it. Yeah, he. I mean, great sets. Richard chose great sets. Yeah. Just the whole look of it. Yeah, beautiful. So no rehearsal. Um, and he was kind of just like, it sounds like he may have been a little gruff to work. I'm not. I mean, not to tell stories at his school, but it wasn't like he wasn't like a hand holdy. No, 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 and it was not in a bad way. I kind of prefer that, you know, just, mm -hmm. you know, mutual respect. You straight, just very businesslike. Yeah, just mutual respect. Just so you do your job, I'll do my job, you know. Right. Um, little tweaks here and there, you know. Um, I think he, he hates emotion. Paul hates emotion. So it was kind of like no emotion, you know, don't, you know. He doesn't like anything treacly whatsoever. 
No histrionics, right. Did, did he yeah. talk about, I mean, did he talk about in your dinner uh, when he took you out to dinner? Like, did he talk about transcendental cinema in that conversation? <laughs> I'm curious. I'm actually curious because he published this book about it recently, which is pretty cool. He did make me watch the pickpocket. Of course he did. <laughs> of course. Yes, that's his Bible, that movie. Everybody has to watch the pickpocket. Doesn't this kind of end the same way? I think if there's a Brisson movie that ends with him in prison, but kind of redeemed yeah, yeah, by it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, that was the pickpocket. Okay, yeah, but so you, as you know, Brisson only sees actors as models. He calls yes. them models. Yes. So that's how Paul wants his actors to be. He wants so he took it literally like for real like the whole the whole brisson package like literally okay well you know it, it's a, it's to great effect in this movie i could see they everybody talked about how much transcendentalism was in first reformed but i see like it's all in this one too with even like a combination of this operatic quality that was uh i think made it even better i just think it's great yeah i mean i i, I feel like I miss directors like Paul because he has a vision and whether you like it or not, it's his vision. And the entire movie is his vision from top yeah. to bottom. And, you know, we don't get that anymore. That doesn't really exist. Not really. Yeah. I talk about that a lot. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of all kinds of stuff and shows and media and screen, you know, but it all, everything's starting to feel like it was shot on the same day with the same, cameras and the same shooting plans and you know it's kind of becoming a a little bit too similar yeah i agree with you yeah yeah you guys are really smart can we talk about the shot in the hospital where you guys finally reconnect i, I was gonna mention that too and you start going at it in the hospital corridor and then there are orderlies with perhaps a dying person trying to get by. Do you remember this shot? <laughs> it, it makes such a statement. You know, you, you finally you come out of your your dying mother's bedroom, and you you kiss him, and then you start really going at it, and then you hear, "Excuse me, excuse me." <laughs> Excuse and there's these guys with a gurney with somebody probably dying on the gurney having to get by and you guys are and it's such an amazing image of like life and passion and excuse me there's somebody dying here yeah, yeah. you know it's like oh my god Probably yeah. I was trying to beat, I didn't even notice. Like, oh, there's the dead guy in the gurney. Right, <laughs> right. That's like every day. For you. The audacity of that moment in the middle of this movie. Yeah, it's um, some complex storytelling too, because it's like this, this, the selfishness that that you know that him pursuing you at that point, yeah. you know, it starts to feel very selfish of him even then, and that reminder of an orderly going, "Excuse me, this is life and death." Is actually right here yeah, there's actual life and death going on and um at the um funeral home scene at this place um that you you always drive by on your way to kennedy airport from new york you always drive by it every time i go to kennedy I go, there's 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 the funeral <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I had two other questions about about the the script and things that and for both of you. Um, there's after you die. I'm not. I don't remember if it's after you die or when Jane takes him out when you when you scream at him. It's at one of the funeral home scenes, and I don't remember if it's your death or your mother's death. But there's a some a couple of moments between him and Jane. They're like, was there something going on there too? Between Jane and the, the character. <laughs> between Jane and and between the Jane's character and Willem's character, because they they seem close in the way you'd be close to the sister of your your love, right? And then for it sort of switches over to no, they're maybe a little closer than that. Or maybe going to get close. I mean, it's very weird. Just I, for a moment. Yeah. Now that you say it, I remember that scene in the screening and going, huh. And yeah. It got really, un and, and again, it's to what you were talking about, Tony, is you suddenly think, wow, is he just really, because you like him so much. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, wait a minute. Is he just really a shit? I mean. Yeah. It, it, that's, uh, yeah. I. <laughs> I, I, there's so many smart things about the script and then how he handled it with every, with every little piece of this so that you you're you're nothing changes i mean everything it's all the same realistic sets in new york and everything's there but um somehow he becomes a completely different person before your eyes like it's a it's it's just this change of perspective that happens and stuff that in the first act you're like you know oh man good for you i hope you i hope you do it and i and i i, I it's too bad you know dana delaney's character isn't saying like you know oh, let's let bygones be bygones because he seems like such a nice guy you know like and then it slowly turns and he becomes rather kind of uh, alarmingly messed up and it really it's a challenge it's challenging that way because it really it, it without being manipulative it really shines a light on everybody watching it going you thought this was cool admit it you know you thought this was cool for a while and we've we've changed nothing and suddenly you're seeing this as being kind of like kind of vampiric and his pursuit of you and how maybe just because of his of who he is like that's not good for your sister to be around like you see like she's pulled into his his kind of uh aura too which is which is not healthy like he, he's he's shown as somebody who goes to a lot of ast as astrologers and he's very lost you know he doesn't he he he's superstitious he's completely uh unmoored all those things are there in the beginning and we're we're kind of like oh isn't that charming or isn't that interesting that this drug dealer would would be so interested in uh self-help and then like halfway through it you're like oh no that's not He's getting all the wrong information from this. Yeah, it's still human, and your and your heart breaks again at the end. Like you really, you know, I don't know if you're supposed to really believe that he's redeemed, but you feel him at the end when he when he has his moment with Sarandon. I think. Do you yeah. remember that lingering close up? That's what a choice. Yeah. Okay. Another question. And again, maybe I'm totally missing something, but what is up with the cologne at the end of the movie? 
Oh yeah, what is that? Tell me what that is. I don't. Do you have an idea of what that is, Tony? Yeah, I think he's sweating. I think he's nervous, and he's never nervous. And this is—they're going to smell. They're going to smell the fear on. Oh, okay. Because he—that's what I thought. There's it was. two moments where, towards the end, where he douses himself, yeah, he covers himself, and then he spills the bottle before he leaves the house. When he throws that journal out the window and he knocks that bottle over and just leaves it there. Oh, that's what the that was the perfume bottle or cologne bottle. Yeah. Oh, I didn't I didn't pick that up, but yeah, he I thought it was because he was panicking and then he was worried people were smelling on it. That fear sweats, which is the smell you want on your drug dealer. I don't think. <laughs> no, no, you don't want fun <laughs> <laughs> on your drug dealer is bad. Yeah. Other shots that just knocked me out. Um, the first time you guys reconnect. Um, in, in the car when he picks you up in the rain and and then you get out you say pull over here and you get out and they have the and they they do this a couple of times in the film where they have this great shot of him in the car watching you walk away and then the car pulls away and the camera again stays still so he's just pulled out of frame away from you um and then the other amazing shot when he comes and sees your mom in the hospital and he's holding on, he reaches forward and touches her foot and they have this phenomenal shot of him and you walking into the doorframe and he doesn't see you. You see him and you stop in the doorframe and it's so beautifully framed and mm -hmm. such an amazing moment. Um, yeah, Paul and, and Ed really were like, they really worked well together. Oh, there's just shot after shot in this film that just... It, it was very equal. I mean, it's very much Paul and Ed both. Yeah. yeah. They're just great. They're they're not only good shots, they're great photographs, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it did look like a painting, a lot of it. Yeah. What Do you remember what the what convinced what was the thing was the, did you read the script and know uh, i'm gonna do this or or was there a thing that you had to be convinced about or it was a really good part yeah everybody wanted that part <laughs> that was like a... yeah and i was just lucky because i had already worked with paul so he knew me and knew mm -hmm. you know right but i mean at the time i would i, I guess i mean you were coming off how long did china beach run it was long um and we're going right to work with paul schrader i mean i know you've done other things after china beach as well this is one of the first things you did or was it literally the first thing the first thing yeah wow. so you know working with paul schrader is not that's not necessarily the easiest choice to make though in the early 90s right that's that's not like i mean he's a he's a he was a bit divisive wasn't he and 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 a little edgy at the it certainly still kind of seems that way to me i don't to me he was like my kind of filmmaker i like that's that awesome. that's <laughs> great that's yeah great. i yeah. would i would imagine there'd be some people who might have been a little nervous maybe what what would it be like what how where is he going to go in this movie how how much is he going to push the envelope and some people yeah. might be nervous about that i would think but anything i feel like because, I mean, you guys can understand this. Because you grow up in the 70s, you know, you come of age. And, I mean, I in 1970, I was 14, I think. Yeah, 14. 
So every movie that I saw was like that, was like a Paul Schrader movie. You know, every movie that I grew up watching was a Paul Schrader movie. So when it came to those movies, it's like, yeah, this is what a movie is to me. And people would say, oh, you have to do nude scenes and you're always naked. And I'm like, yeah, because that's what an actor does. You know, you get naked in a movie, you know, right. Right. emotionally and physically, you know, and psychically. That's what you do if the scene calls for it. Right. And, and then it was only in the 90s. People got so weird about that stuff. They got yeah. very square and, and con condemning about it. And I was kind of shocked by the backlash against all that kind of stuff. Yeah, interesting. Meant nothing. Meant nothing. I'm, I'm still kind of shocked uh, when I run into that. I mean, yeah. I actually run into acting students who, you know, give give acting students a scene and they have to kiss in it. And I get like, or, or, are we actually supposed to kiss? I'm like, what 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 the hell did you think you were going to be doing if you were becoming? Why did you come to acting class if you didn't want to kiss people? You didn't want to kiss. Right. What's wrong with you? What do you think people do on television when they have to kiss? I mean, I remember when mm. when you and I did when you when we, you came into dinner with friends, it was so mm. funny because the big love scene, Lisa and Emery, Lisa Emery and I approached that for weeks, like tiptoeing our way into the big love scene and then you came in and you were like yeah come on let's, let's <laughs> it's a freebie <laughs> <laughs> well maybe that's because dan sullivan was a jesuit or something <laughs> and i was just like oh okay well here we go you know but also i mean you were coming into a production that was already running so we didn't have the, we didn't have the time yeah. To get to know each other and, yeah. and delicately uh, work up to that, but uh, uh, you know, for me, uh, but I I understand what you're saying. What Tony said, yeah, it's like why you go go to acting class? I get to kiss, you know, damn, I have to go to work, you know, eight times a week and make out with Dana Delaney. Oh, it's such a horrible life. <laughs> but but Matthew, in your classes now. Um... Do you find that, like, I remember uh, when I was doing a play down at the Old Globe and, you know, they have the, that student program with San Diego down there. Yeah. And they would have students that were Mormons saying, no, I can't kiss, you know, and, and you're, I can't do the scene, you know, we're going to have to do it differently. It's like, why are you an actor, you know, that you can't limit yourself like that? As right. An well, in I teach in a couple of places. I teach privately. And when I'm teaching privately, I, I can say whatever I want to them. And I say that when I'm teaching at the university, I don't teach acting classes at the university. I teach film filmmaking classes, but, but there I do have to moderate what I say um, in that, in that classroom, in my own private classes, I say, you know, good luck to you. <laughs> um, uh, and I've I've had uh, I've had that conversation time and then and then at South Coast Rep when I'm teaching there it's sort of half and half you know uh, I I get a lot of freedom there to be very clear with people about you if you want to do this professionally there you know you're gonna you're gonna not get jobs or people might not want to work with you again. I, I've been I've been acting for ages, and I've I've never had I've never kissed anybody in a show. Like I've it's never had one scene. Never no. Oh, Tony. Oh, it's sad. It's it's, it's I just it's really unfair. 
I was hoping Adam was going to be here tonight so we could yeah. settle once and for all which one of us is a better kisser. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to really put you on the spot. You yeah, know. But we're more recent, so you. Was Adam your love interest on China Beach at one point? My husband. No, I yeah. didn't realize. I didn't know. I haven't seen those episodes in a while, so uh, I mm -hmm. forgot what the relationship was. So yeah. how many episodes did you do together, Ruff? I mean, uh, uh, was he in a whole season? Three, two or three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh -huh. He and was what like, what's that? What happened to him? Was he flashbacks? No, he, it was flash forward and my character finally goes to AA and picks a nice guy in the end. You know, he was the nice After Adam. Oh, oh, after Adam. <laughs> no, Adam was the nice guy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> a, str a stretch. <laughs> um, did you get to work with Victor a lot in, in the film? Or spend time no. with him? Uh, do we do we even have scenes together? You're just, or you're just in the hotel room for that one brief? You're in one shot, but I don't know if you're in the same shot. You're like in the, it, yeah, you're in that scene, but you don't work together. Yeah, no, no I wanted to because I adore Victor. I just love him. But... I had a great moment with Victor once. I had yeah, he uh, r shortly after dinner with friends opened, um, and I I didn't I never met him nothing. But shortly after dinner with friends opened, I had about I had about three weeks where I was the talk of the town, which was very exciting. Sure. And I walked, uh, yes, I walked into a restaurant, and uh, I was looking around, waiting for a table. I was going to have dinner by myself, and all of a sudden, I hear, "Matthew, Matthew, are you alone?" And I look over, and it's Victor Garber, who I've never met. And I'm like, "Yeah." He said, "Come have dinner with me." And I was like, "I was like, hey." It's Victor Gava asking me to have dinner with him. I was like, Holy Moses! And he was—he was absolutely just lovely. What a lovely man! You know what? That's really says something because Victor can be cranky, and he—he he wasn't cranky with you. And I only had one other interaction with him where I bumped into him on the subway, and we were talking, and it was right after his um, the production of Annie that did, he did that came out where he was daddy warbucks and i watched it over and over and over and over again with my children um not because i have some strange yeah, compulsion yeah was a different reason um, okay no, watching it over and over again with my kids and i bumped into a subway and i i i was overcome in a moment of honesty and i said to him i said i said when I heard that you were cast as Daddy Warbucks, I thought, what? I said, I mean, I love you and your work, but Daddy Warbucks? And then I saw it and you were amazing. And he was, he was an incredible Daddy Warbucks. But he was very, he said, he said, when they offered it to me, that was my reaction. I was like, what? <laughs> Let me just say, Victor's not cranky, he's private. He can be very he's private. He's a private. No, he's a, he's a what? He's a cranky baby. Private. Oh, okay. Yeah, so for him to reach out to you like that, it really says something. Oh, it was, it was, it was, I've never forgotten it. Um, Tina, um, have you been doing uh, theater uh, since translations time or since, since doing that show with Matthew? I, I, I yeah. don't go to the theater much, so I don't know what people do. Well, Matthew and I were at South Coast together at the same time. 
you were doing the different shows at the same time. Okay. I, I did the original, the premiere of Parisian Woman before it went to Broadway. I was cast with other people. Right. Um, and then you did dinner with friends out in LA playing the other roles. Yes, which was, yeah. But the last thing I did, the last work I did, period, was in January at um, the McCarter Theater, which I oh, yeah. worked at before. Have you guys worked there? I have not. No. I hear it's great. It's got a great rep. Yeah. You did that. We played husband and wife again. That's right. For LA Theater Works mm -hmm. in uh, an interesting production of a Richard Greenberg play about a Jewish family with me, Dana Delaney, Seamus Dever, um, <laughs> Susan Sullivan. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, yeah. It's like me and six Irish people playing, playing a Jewish family on the Upper West Side. Yeah. Everybody, everybody <laughs> at that table knows about trouble. Everybody knows about troubles. I did feel, I did feel a little uh, false in that role. <laughs> but it was fun. Mm -hmm. What yeah. was the show at the at the uh, McCarter? 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 McCarter. Uh, Good Night Nobody. It was also a world premiere by Rachel Bonds. Really nice play that we were hoping to do out in LA, but then, you know. Oh, she's such a good playwright. Oh my yeah. God. Really good. Yeah, really smart, really nice. I had never had that experience on stage where you are getting rewrites every night until opening night. Every. That's, that's a heavy time when that happens. Yeah, yeah. that was the last time. Rewrite some scenes. Yeah. Is Rachel Bonds of good stock? Yeah. Yeah. What a play. Have you had that, Tony, where you've had to like this? I did. I did a play. Uh, I did a couple of plays with Kenneth Lonergan, and um, he rewrites a lot. And uh, on the last one, it was, it was like that. We were getting rewrites. We were getting the last 10 pages of the play, actually, up until opening night, we were getting new material every day. Yeah. Model like pages of stuff. It was crazy. And then after a while, I'll just go, okay, whatever uh -huh. happens. Yep. Happens. Luckily, you know, Kenny felt that way too. Like he was very, you know, he 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 under he understood that not all of that stuff would be perfect the day that he handed it to everyone, but um we got through it. And that it was a lot of fun actually, but uh, a, a crazy production. It creates a lot of that actor's nightmare stuff, those dreams. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I did a radio show once um, where they were doing rewrites. The guy hadn't finished the project and was doing rewrites up until the opening of we were on stage, filing out on stage, and we got handed the last five pages of this script, which we'd been waiting for for months. And it was a radio play. We were just standing in front of mics on stage. There was 200 people. And uh, it was a whodunit. And literally nobody knew, no one knew whodunit until we read it during the show. And I done, I had turned out that I was the murderer. And you didn't know. And I didn't know that until I confessed the crime in the reading in front of people. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you yeah. didn't get away. <laughs> you know that when they were making Casablanca, they couldn't decide who she was going to go with at the end? Mm-hmm. And as they were shooting the whole movie, Ingrid Bergman didn't know who she was going to end up with. Mm -hmm. And I, I 
I think it's one of the reasons her performance is so great because she has to, she had to not know. Yeah. 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 They didn't do anything on that movie. They changed stuff like apparently on a minute to minute basis. They fought over everything. It's a miracle that thing came out looking good. I have one more question about about the the script mm-hmm. on this, uh, and and this might be way off base, but did did he talk at all about um, to you guys about uh, Dante's in, uh, about the Divine Comedy and any of any of that because those themes pop up in places in the script. The not to me, but he might have to Willem. The, the image of Beatrice repeats throughout the film and and he has that line about um uh I can uh, I can be a good person what a strange thing to happen halfway through your life which echoes the the first line in the divine comedy where he's talking about midway through my life I went on this journey mm-hmm. and he's led by by a woman into in mm. state of grace okay. finally at the end. Yeah, um, I, I'm sure that was in there. I mean, you know, Strader's a smart dude. I love how uh, that's that's a speech I have written down here too. I love that speech, and I, it ends it ends though with him saying "What luck," which I found to be a really weird and telling way to end that, as if it's nothing you actually do to make a better life. It's just like gambler's luck. What luck that it could happen, you know? It's yeah, really interesting. Astrology, the wheel. Yeah, yeah. I pulled yeah. the right card today. Yeah. There's yeah. another uh, photograph I want to show of a shot that I thought was really amazing in the film. <laughs> I know, I know. Incredible. That, know that one sequence too. is incredible. Yeah, you know that's such a. I mean, that's like the sim- the simplicity of it is really. Um, uh, you don't notice how necessarily how much thought is going into every single camera setup until you really kind of freeze on some of them and go, "That's a really weird way of looking at the scene." Like you know the the way that that hallway is reflected in that mirror, making yeah. it look like a prison, like a row of prison uh, doors. Yeah, it's also like you know that none of that was accidental. No. But to get that much out of a really simple wide angle, you know, wide lens, there's nothing, there's no hiding. It's very basic. There's nothing. Well, because we had such little time, I know that Ed and, and Paul had everything set up ahead of time. Everything. There was no, you know. Right. Let's figure this out. Right. Which and then the- there's a, there's a scene that you wanted to show, right, Tony? Uh, there is, if we have time. Yeah. It's, I, it's a, it's, the interesting scene, I think. Do you want? Do you have time? It's a minute and a half, I think. All right, here we go. Do you want to set it up at all? Or yeah, I'll set it up. It's the. It's the. I, I think it's a really, really nice performance from this um, young guy who plays the cop. And I'm looking for my notes where I wrote that name down, and I'm not finding it. You, you might know who he is when you see him, Dana. Um, and I'll find his name. It's a real turn in the. It's, in a, the movie. it's a super interesting turn because. Up until this point, um, Willem Dafoe's character has been kind of on the rise and feeling like things are changing for his life. It's soon after the scene is right after he has that speech where he goes, "I who knew that your life could get better midway through your life? What luck!" 
and then he goes to sleep listening to your voice on a tape loop which oh, yeah. is really disturbing that he would have this epiphany and then decide to do that that evening very odd choice great what did that seem somewhat obsessive to you a tad obsessive <laughs> that seems to be a word you could use and then and then immediately they go the next day to him at a laundromat now this is like literally an hour into the movie we've seen nothing but the most sophisticated clubs and high-end stuff and he's got armani suits on and everything's really like miami vice cool and then they get to this point in the movie where he says who knew your life could change and then cut to he's doing his laundry at this laundromat nondescript crappy place. laundromat yeah well like there are i mean yes it's a it's kind of a crappy looking laundromat and he gets into this conversation with his cop who's following him and everything everything goes the other way yeah and that's the moment where you realize you see his character in a new light can i help you officer what not making a mistake you want a cop aren't you yeah can i see a badge Bill Guadone. What is it? <laughs> you think you're invisible, don't you? Huh? Think we don't know you, Latour? It's a name you use, right? My father's partner in a very powerful law firm. If you have anything in mind, do it by the book. <laughs> you? Who the fuck gives a shit about you? I could grind you right here. In fact, maybe I will. Huh? What do you think about that? Nobody give a flying fuck. Look like narcotics to you, asshole? I'm homicide, investigating a murder in a park. I don't read the papers. Oh, well, downtown is interested how a 19-year-old Barnard honor student with fancy parents got a quarter of uncut coke on her when she's found murdered. I mean, this ain't the type of girl we find crews in Alphabet City looking to score, you know what I'm saying? Somebody sold her. Somebody upscale, somebody classy. You're classy, so I hear. And maybe somebody knows something we need to know. You understand? That guy was uh, his name, Robert uh, Ciccini. I believe that I, I may be mispronouncing his name. Played the cop. I love that scene because it's um, you know, you could mistake it for a Law and Order scene. It has a, it has your kind of like basic setups cameras not doing anything fancy it's kind of informational but there's so much other stuff going on and the whole movie actually like pivots at this point and there's a couple mm -hmm. of shots of him where he's like he's looked so super cool up until this point and then there's a couple of shots of him where he looks like this kind of weird vampiric guy and like the hair dye looks weird in the sunlight and nothing's working like it's just not happening and you suddenly see what the cop is what the cops talking about yeah. um i also think just having that window break when he pushes him against the window and it's like that's the movie where his person at like everything shatters for him and yeah. they put that in the movie that's that's such a great like little touch yeah. um and everything from that point on he's just starts to sweat a little bit more and his apartment starts looking worse from that point on and his his approaching you starts to feel stock like very stonky and strange from that point on so um 
yeah, I, I just love the storytelling that's packed into it. And there's something so pathetic. My father's a very rich lawyer. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a scuzzy thing to say. <laughs> it, it really, and that has not, it, like, particularly now to hear somebody say that in this day and age, it's just literally like, oh, no, you, you didn't say that. That's yeah. so yeah. not cool. No. Do we believe it? Do we believe that? No, not for a second. Yeah, I didn't. I think it's a total lie. But I mean, yeah. even to come up with that as a thing to say, yeah, you know, and the fact that 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 cop looks fourteen years old and he just slaps him around—it's just, it's just great. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Well. You guys I, are so smart. I learned things about this movie I never knew. <laughs> oh, we just are huge fans. It's so. It's you know, we've seen a couple of movies during the this uh, show that have have been hard to find positive things to say about, and this was you know, honestly, like a, a complete pleasure. Yeah. Um, and not to have seen it before, like I've seen, I think everything else that we've that we've talked about, I've, I've already seen. This is the first one that was a completely new movie for me, so. And, okay. and, and Matthew, you should see the uh, affliction is really good. It's really good. I'll see it's it. Terrific. And, and I'm and pulling it. What? First Reformed is good too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm pulling that cafeteria scene uh, to show to my students because oh, uh, in, in my visual storytelling class, I'm always looking for for scenes that really tell the story through composition like that scene does i gotta tell um, my friend's kids to take your class because like chapman is the hot school now everybody wants to go to chapman i've got three friends who have kids down there oh really are they mm -hmm. in the are they at dodge in the film school i don't know i'll find out okay because if they're in the film school i i might have them because i only teach class i have uh i teach three classes in the film school yeah. uh, so remembering that dodge and please tell Amelia I said hello, Tony. Well, I will definitely. She she says hi too. She was excited that we were gonna. I, I would talking. love to have a drink with her one night and rehash translations. Well, uh, Zoom can make all these things possible. That would be. I know she'd enjoy that. I'm sure she has her own opinions about what went wrong. <laughs> well, she had she she had a great time doing that show, but I know she'd love to hear what you have to say about this. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, this thank has been great. And uh, I hope we get to get, be married a third time. Me too. And I hope Tony gets to kiss a girl. Uh, I hope I get to kiss a girl. I hope I get to get married to you once. I have been not married to you once, and my brothers have been married to you already. So hey, you got to tattoo. You got to tattoo the vice, the the president elect of the United States. So. I did. I did get to do that. You did. I did. Yeah, I tattooed Joe Biden. For what? Uh, for a uh, for a spot that Julie Julie Louis Dreyfus was doing for the for the uh, you know the convention the the reporters convention the journalist thing that they do every year. Yeah. And um, I did this when he was vice president, so you know we're going back a ways. But um, yeah, they flew me down to D.C. to play a tattoo guy, and uh, I sat literally right next to him and pretended to tattoo him and. Nancy Pelosi was right over there too. It was crazy. Oh my god! Oh, he's ah! up. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, good president, right? Good choice. We made a good choice. He he was awesome. He was so nice. I mean, he was so right. Like he was just a regular guy. He didn't have any airs about him. He was very very like uh, 
personable and easy to talk to. And I I think I might have said this on the show before, but he was literally like the nicest high school principal you've ever met. Like he, which is what we need right now. Yeah, I think so. I'm delighted. I think he's really uh, he's a really good guy. So. Yeah. Um, so next week, uh, just for the people who are out there uh, listening or watching, next week we're going to be talking about uh, my favorite year. Uh, so find the time between now and then to watch it because we obviously do spoilers on this show. We do. Do you want to say where they, these things might be seen? I mean, I, to people. Uh, can... I know it's available on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And yeah. Probably that's... other outlets. But if people don't know how to use Google, I don't know if they should be watching this show. They got they they got here. They can they find made it, it here. They should be able to find uh, my favorite year. Dana, are you, you doing anything right now? You'd like to tell anybody about? Yeah. What you're watching? No. Sourdough bread. You baking sourdough bread? No. <laughs> <laughs> you should get Marklin Baker on. I'm going to call Mark. I've uh, worked with him a couple of times, so I'm going to give him a buzz and see if he'll uh, if he'll come on next week. Yeah, he'll do it. He's not doing anything. <laughs> What's he doing? Well, we're, we're on a board together, so I, I see him on Zoom calls. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, no excuse, Matthew. Hit him up right now. And tell him you had a good, if you had a good time, tell him you had a good time. Oh, definitely. Uh, on my other show, which I'd like to have you on one time if you'd like to do it, I do a show on Monday nights called Creative Conversations, where it's, I just have one guest and we talk about career and craft. Wow. No. No? Enterprising. My God. Um, and last week I had George Went. Uh, this coming Monday, J.K. Simmons is going to be on it. Oh, great. Um, yeah. Wow. So uh, would love to have you on that if you're interested. And it's really just a conversation to talk about career, craft, tell st funny stories, whatever. It's hanging oh. out, having a drink and talking. That sounds great. I got, I got to tell you, Tony, when we were doing dinner with friends, um, this is an example of Matthew and his prodigious output. Um, <laughs> in between stages, I'd be doing crossword puzzles. In between scenes, I'd be doing crossword puzzles in the dressing room. And one day he came up and said, yeah, I used to do crossword puzzles too in between. And then I realized how much time I was wasting. And he, he brought me a whole stack of um, the books. The guy who wrote Mystic River, the wonderful writer of- um, Oh, Dennis, Dennis uh, Lehane. Dennis Lehane. He said, a whole stack of paperbacks. He said, here, you should read these. Okay. Who the fuck is this guy telling me I can't do my crossword puzzles? <laughs> but you were right, and I'm still doing crossword puzzles, and I'm wasting so much time. <laughs> no, you know what? I, I I've learned since then. Uh, you're not wasting your time doing crossword puzzles. <laughs> right. there, there, there was. I have, I, I have learned as I've gotten older. I said this once in an argument with a with a with a girlfriend, who was an inappropriate. A number of years younger than me and uh you need to clarify this dude you have to <laughs> no, not not that inappropriate okay just just not out for you man it's like it's totally okay everything's fine <laughs> <clears throat> no and i said and uh i said and this did not go over well but i said to her i said i remember so well when I knew as much as you do, I don't know as much as you do now. <laughs> and I, 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 
funny about Dennis Lehane. I read after the fact, like a couple years later, I read all the books she gave me and they were fantastic. They're pretty damn good. Yeah. 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 He's good. Yeah. He's good. Um, well, yes. Great. So I'll have you on that and you can tell more embarrassing stories about me. <laughs> You've got plenty. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, well, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming Thanks on. For having me. And uh, uh, we run our little title sequence right now. And if you want to hang around for a minute or two afterwards, you can tell us what we did wrong. Okay. Um, we don't have time for, for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Good night. Good night. You've been listening to the Arkin Brothers Talk About Movies. That's my brother, Matthew Arkin. And that's my brother, Anthony Arkin. And we are interesting, irreverent, and irrelevant. But you can follow us on Instagram anyway. You can also subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch. And you can do it all on our website. Just follow the link on your podcast app. Or if you really want to stalk us, head over to arkinbros.com. You'll learn more about us than anyone would ever want to know.